Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Doctrine Matters podcast. We are going to continue our study and view of what we should believe as Christians. Now, this is the second episode of what we should believe as Christians. The first episode was we should understand about the Bible. Now, what I'm doing is just a simple run through of some 3,000 foot view of things that we as believers need to understand about different topics and subjects as it relates to the scriptures. So, yes, the last time, uh, not yesterday, but if you watched uh, the last episode yesterday, that it would be yesterday for you. But on the last podcast, we talked about the Bible, as I just mentioned. This episode, we're going to be talking about what God is like. What should we believe when it comes to God and who he is, what he's like? And we're going to talk about different things like that. So we're just going to jump right into this thing, and we're going to spend a little time, not a whole lot, but really seeing who God is and who we should believe God to be. First of all, we have to understand that God exists, right? If we don't believe that God exists, then we don't believe in a God, especially the God of the Bible. So we first and foremost have to believe that God exists. In Greek mythology, people believed that these gods existed in some way, shape, or form, so they worshiped these gods for them to move on their behalf on some way or another. Now, we have to, as Christians, believe that the God of the Bible, God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, does indeed exist. And from the first page of our Bibles, we read, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He is there. He's already there from the time time is introduced to the world. When it begins, God is already there. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we have to understand that God truly does exist. And when we read God's word, we know that God the Father is real. We know that his son, the second part of the Trinity, Jesus, is real. And we know the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, we have to believe is real. So we have to understand from the very first page of our Bibles that God indeed exists. If we don't believe that God exists, then we get all of Christianity wrong. We get everything wrong and there's nothing left to hold on to. So our first bite out of theology, really, when it comes to the doctrine of God, should be that he exists. And we know this from the pages of Scripture, specifically, if I can get that word out, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning was the word. No, that's John 1.1. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then if we were to flip over to John 1.1, we would see what I had just started quoting. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God is what we see there. If you have your Bibles, you can obviously flip on over there and see that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there is a beginning uh, of time as we know it. However, we're going to see that uh, God has always been, even before time as we know it. So the first thing that you must put down, God exists and believe that He exists. Second of all, we have to believe that because God exists, that God is knowable, that we can know him. Now, there are some things that we will never know about God. All of the mysteries that are hidden may not be revealed to us on this side of eternity and may not even be on the other side of eternity. We don't know. That is up to the discretion of God. But we know that we can know who God is by reading his word. We know him through his word. We know he exists from his word. So we know that he created from his word. We see the things that he created from his word, so we can get to know God and who he is from his word. Let me just run through a few things real quick. John chapter 4, verse 8. We get to know that God is love. 
1 John 1, 5, we know that God is light. John 4, 24, we know that God is spirit. Romans 3, 26, we know that God is righteous. So we can understand who God is and get to know God specifically and primarily through the final authority, which is sola scriptura, scripture alone. There is nothing else that we need to know God from outside of the scriptures. If we read Knowing God by J.I. Packer, it better, and it does, by the way, point back to the scriptures to show us who God is and get to know him on that basis and on that level through his word. That is why the Bible is so important that we talked about in the first episode of what Christians should believe, because we get to know God through his word. So the second thing there, God is knowable. So we, we know God through his word. The third thing that I want to tell you, and I'm just going to tell you 10 quick things here on this episode. And again, this is not truly just a deep dive into these things. These are just surface level, basic things that get us thinking about who God is, the doctrine of God, and what we should believe as Christians. So we got God exists. God is knowable. The third thing that we must understand and know about God and what he is like is that he is independent. You might even hear this word aseity, the aseity of God. This is the independence of God, that he doesn't need anything or anyone. He is not dependent on anything or anyone. There is nothing that he depends on or nobody that he depends on. God always was, God always is, and God always will be. And he stands alone as independent as the only God and needs us for nothing. There are many people that try to form a theology based off of their own thoughts and needs and wants, and they think that God needs them that God needs their glory, that God needs them to worship him. But the truth is, God needs none of us. In his good pleasure, he has created us, and he has chosen to save us and save many, not everybody. We know that everybody's not going to be saved. This is not some uh, universalism God that we serve, but we serve a God had, that in his good pleasure and in his grace and mercy chose to create people for his will and has chosen to save some of those people. Romans 3, I'm sorry, Romans 11, uh, 36 says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. So he created even us for his good pleasure. He doesn't need us, but he chose to create us. And although he is completely independent, God rejoices over his creation with gladness, uh, as with loud singing and we see that in Zephaniah chapter 317, that he is uh, rejoicing over his creation. He is good in that, but he doesn't need us. So don't let that theological framework kind of mess you up there that, that God had to have us or anything like that. As a matter of fact, as I'm thinking now through this, there was a, and is still a popular song uh, from Hillsong United. And there's a line in there that always, which let me just say this. If you haven't, if you're new to the show, new to the channel, new to the podcast, this is something that I will tell you that I don't believe we should be singing is that's churches from heretical place, uh, songs from heretical churches like Bethel Hillsong uh, and Unite, uh, Elevation. So we shouldn't be singing those songs, but there was always a, a line in this one song is you didn't want heaven without us. So you, you brought heaven down or something like that. 
And that's the mindset of a lot of people that God had to have us for some reason. Some We were just missing in his life. But the, the thing is, we have to understand that he is independent, separate from all of creation and all of us as people. And he doesn't need us for anything. But he chose to create us. And we are to respond to him in worship and give him glory through all things. So don't let that mindset fool you. God doesn't need us, but he chose to create us and save many for his glory, not ours. And then we're going to get into some omnis here. You may have heard of the three omnis. That, of course, is the omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God, and the omnipotence of God. So we're going to go through these three briefly. First of all, the omnipresence of God. He is omnipresent. We have to believe this, that God cannot be limited by space or time like we can. He is finite or he is infinite. We are finite beings. He is outside of time, outside of space, outside of material matter as we know it. And he is not bound by any of those things. When you think about it, we're bound by this body. We're bound by the place, places we are. I'm bound inside of this room right now, and I cannot be in the living room or the kitchen while I'm up here because I'm bound by this physical body, this time, and the things between us, these walls and the doors and the stairs and all of those things. I am bound by those things, but God is infinite. He is not bound by any of this. He created all of it, so he is not bound in the same way that we are. Also, we talked about just early, we know God through his word. John 4, 24 says that God is spirit. So God is spirit can be everywhere at all times. And Psalm 139, verse 7 through 10, let's take a gander at that in the scriptures. If you're following along in the Bible, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, say this. And this is very, very, very beautiful words here. The psalmist says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. See, anywhere and everywhere that you and I go, God is there. His spirit knows it's there with us, whether we're in heaven and shield anywhere on the earth. His spirit is there with us. He can be everywhere at all times, which leads us into the next omni, which is omniscience. This simply means that God knows everything. Let's look at first John chapter 320. First John chapter 320. I'm I never was the greatest at Bible drills growing up. If you know what I'm talking about, bless you. If you don't, bless you. Uh, I've, I've talked about Bible drills before, so uh, I'm getting there as fast as I can. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. That passage of Scripture alone tells us that God knows everything. There's, there's Scriptures that tell us that before a thought comes in our mind, God knew it. Before it rolls off of our tongue, God knows exactly what we're going to say. God knows all things. He knows the inner depths of our hearts. He knows everything that we've said, everything that we've thought, everything that we're going to think, everything that we're going to do. He knows all, which is really frightening in a way, which should lead us to fear God even more, not in a, I'm scared, please help me kind of way, but in a reverence that leads to worship to know that God knows everything about us, even the innermost parts of 
us and, and things that other people will never know on this side of eternity, potentially, but God knows everything about us, that should drive us to obedient living as Christians and to worship. So that is um, um, omni omniscience. I get tongue-tied sometimes saying these things. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. And then now we also, the sixth thing that we need to believe that God is or what he is like is God is omnipotent. This simply means that he is all powerful. He is stronger and greater and more mighty than anything and everyone. Genesis 18, chapter 18, verse 14 says this. It asks, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer is absolutely not. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. He is greater. He is more powerful. He is almighty God. There is nothing that is too hard for our God. And a matter of fact, Jeremiah echoes this answer in Jeremiah 32, 17, when he says, nothing is too hard for you. There is nothing in this world, even the things that we don't see, nothing in this universe that is too hard for God. God is sovereignly ruling and reigning over every bit of it. And we have to believe that. We have to believe that God is in control of all things, that he is sovereign. This is another thing that we need to believe that God is like. This wasn't included. This is kind of a, 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 a need to know. We, we all need to know this, regardless if it makes a list or not. We need to know that God is sovereign. He is supreme, reign supreme as creator, as ruler, as sustainer of this universe. He is in control of all things, and he is sovereignly ruling and reigning and doing and placing and doing things with people and, and uh, circumstances that are going to give him glory. Even if it's going through suffering, even if it's going through trials, God is decreed these things, and they will come to pass, and they will come for his glory and for the believer's good. So we need to know that God is sovereign, and there is nothing in this world that is too hard for him. And Jesus goes on to say, with God, all things are possible. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've seen that on a coffee cup, maybe on the back of a t-shirt, whatever. Uh, we have to understand that God is all powerful, almighty God, and nothing is impossible for him. There are some things though, that we need to think about that God cannot do. So he can do all things. Nothing's too hard for him, but there's some things that he cannot do. One of those things is God cannot lie. God's not going to tell you something. God's not going to promise you something and then fail to deliver on that promise. So he cannot lie. We have to understand that. Sometimes many of you may say, well, God has left me. He's forsaken me. He doesn't think about me. He doesn't care about me, this, that, and the other. Well, that is just a, a fleshly way of thinking about who God is. Because when God says he has never left you nor forsaken you, it's true. He never has and never will for those believers. Now, we're going to see here in just a minute that God is going to condemn justly those who are unbelievers at some point unless they repent of their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But for those that are believers, God never has and never will leave you or forsake you. And that's one thing that we have to understand about God as well, that he will not do those things. He cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny who he is. If, if he says that he is someone he's not, then he is a liar. So, Whatever God says about himself through the word, the way we get to know him, we believe that what he has said about himself is true because he cannot deny himself. He cannot be somebody he's not on the pages of scripture. So we have to understand that whatever is said is truth. And then if he's perfect and all powerful, then he cannot sin at all. Lying's a sin. Denying himself would be a lie, which is sin. So there is nothing that God can do that is sin. He will not sin. He cannot sin. God is perfect. He is righteous. He is just. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But God is not going to lie. 
He is not going to forsake his promises. He's not going to forsake you. And we have to trust him in that, to know that he is all powerful, but he is not going to sin. He's not going to lie. He is going to treat you the way he said he's going to treat you through his word. The seventh thing that I have here that we need to understand about God, and again, this isn't an exhaustive list. There's many more things that we could cover, but just for the sake of time and, and clarity, I just wanted to, to mention a, a about 10 large ones that we should know about God. Seventh thing I have here is God is holy. We have to believe that God is holy. As a matter of fact, Psalm 99.9 says, The Lord our God is holy. Also, as we read Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, we see that God is a thrice holy God. He is holy, holy, holy. God is holy, which means he is set apart unto perfection without sin, without blemish. We just got through talking about how he cannot sin. He cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. So he is perfect. He's set apart. He is holy. He's blameless. And we, too, are called to be holy. Some of these are... Uh, things that we should take on as well, these communicable attributes of God, that we should take them on and be like that as well. So obviously we can't be omniscient. Um, uh, we can't be all-knowing everywhere and all-powerful. We cannot be that, but we can be holy because the Bible in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2 says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That means that we should pursue perfection as Christ is perfection. We should pursue a sinless life. Now, we are not going to achieve that on this side of eternity, but we should pursue it and allow sanctification to take place in our lives, which is the process of being made holy, and we become holy through the power of the Holy Spirit. We become more like Christ, which makes us more holy, not our own self-righteousness, but that of Christ. So we become holy as he is holy. And then again, we see that repeated in 1 Peter chapter 1 as well, that we should be holy. We should take on this attribute of God and live holy and perfect and blameless lives, mortifying sin in our lives and following Christ and being obedient to his word. The eighth thing I have here is that God is righteous. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 19 says, he speaks the truth and declares what is right. We live in a world where many people think they're right. Many people will read the Bible and come up with their own truth, quote unquote, and they will claim to be right. When really the only standard of rightness or righteousness that we have is the word of God, his word, what he has said, he is the standard and the final standard of righteousness. This is what's true and right when we read the word of God. We can believe that. Every time we open this, we can look in it and read it and understand and know that it's true, it's right, and the standard of righteousness that we find in there is what we are to measure our lives up to. We can think about the Ten Commandments or the law. The law was given, and it's a measuring tool. It's a measuring rod. We look and we see what we're supposed to be, but we cannot measure up to the righteousness of God. We see that we fall. The law reveals our sin. The Ten Commandments even reveal our sin. And we fail there because even though this is the standard of righteousness, this doesn't mean that we can achieve this overall perfect righteousness on this side of eternity, at least. Again, There we go. I think I'm back. Sorry. I uh, don't know what happened. I got this faulty. Um, I think I may have accidentally pulled the cord out. 
but the final standard of righteousness is God's word. We can't measure up to that. That's why Christ came. He died in our place. He was. He became uh, the 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 propitiation, the final, the wrath of God poured out on Jesus, His Son. He became sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And it's only through Christ, as we see that we don't measure up to the law, to the righteous standard of his word, when we see that we don't measure up to that, we have to then place our faith in Christ as he measured up to that, as he lived a perfect sinless life, as he walked here on earth and lived his life here on earth. He met this standard of righteousness, and it's only through him that we will ever be this, this kind of righteous, and it's in heaven and eternity when we are finally glorified, when we fully righteous in the sight of God. But even now, when he looks at the believers, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see our sinfulness and our, our wickedness, although we should repent of that. Every time we sin, we should seek forgiveness. The Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive, but God is righteous. And even in the righteousness, he's right, he's just, he's truth. He is going to give people what he what they deserve, which means that we roll into number nine here. God is just. God will bring about justice. There's been a lot of talk lately from Romans chapter one, and I think it would be uh, wise for us to go there, especially back on the 20th of January. Many people in Canada and some pastors in America spoke against um, the bill in Canada, the C4 bill that that makes conversion therapy for transgender homosexuals and things like that illegal carries up to five years in prison for those in Canada that break this law. And uh, many pastors went to preach against that and to preach the biblical text. And they went to Romans chapter one, verse 18 through 32. We won't read all of this, but I would like to point out some things here. Romans chapter one, verse 18 starts out for the wrath of God is revealed for heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We're talking about God's righteousness, which means he is rolling into being just now and he will hold those accountable who are unrighteous. Now, we are all in the flesh unrighteous. But again, those that are in Christ, those that have been have repented of their sin and been saved, they now receive the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at us, he sees that righteousness. So it's Christ's righteousness that we have. But those that don't believe in Christ are unrighteous. They are wicked. And the Bible says here, they suppress the truth. For what can be made known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Um, and then let's see. God gave them up to a debased mind. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So these unrighteous men will be judged 
And it, it, we, if we carry over into chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. So we understand that God is going to be a just judge. Verse 6 of chapter 2 says, He will render to each one according to his works. So those that suppress the truth, those that are unrighteous, God is going to bring justice and punish those unbelievers, those who die in their sin, that die in unbelief. God will cast out these people and send them to hell for eternity, and he is going to be just in doing so, which takes us right into our tenth and final thing that we need to understand about God. And again, not an exhaustive list, just a short list and uh, just trying to think and talk through this quickly, just to uh, try to help give you some quick content on what to believe. Uh, God is wrathful. God is loving, but he's also loving in his wrath because God hates all sin. He's a jealous God. He will not share his glory with anybody else or anything else. So the punishment of sin has to be death. And if there is unbelief, then there has to be a spiritual death as well, which is going to be cast into hell for all of eternity. God is going to pour out his wrath on all of those unbelievers at the time of judgment. Now, for those of us that are in Christ, what about the wrath there? Well, the wrath has been poured out on Jesus. He became the propitiation. He appeased the wrath of God for those that will be saved, for God's elect. Those that will be saved, he bore the wrath for them in their place. But those that do not believe, that die in their unbelief, will be judged for eternity. Which means that if we are believers, we need to be preaching the gospel. We need to be evangelizing the lost. We need to be telling people that they are sinners in need of a great Savior, that they are wicked men and women, that their hearts are darkened, that they are dead in sins and trespasses. And the only way to be right with God is through His Son, Jesus Christ, that came and lived a perfect life, that died the death we deserved, who was beaten, who was spit, who spit upon, who had his beard plucked out, who had a crown of thorns placed upon his head, who was nailed to a cross. There he died. He was buried. And three days later, he rose again. We see that he ascended back to heaven. And one day he's coming to judge the living and the dead. And the Bible tells us to repent and believe the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to believe that he came and he died and he rose again and he's coming back, that he did it for you. We need to be telling people to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because those who die in their unbelief will be judged. And if you are a believer, you have been given the righteousness of Christ, so therefore you should be holy as he is holy. And then we should understand who God is, what he is like, and let that drive us to worship. It's been said that our theology should drive us to orthodox or, or to um, doxology. Sorry, I got it all messed up in my mind. Um, our theology should drive us to doxology, which basically means our theological understanding of who God is should drive us to worship him for who he is and what he has done. So our understanding of God should bring us to our knees in prayer and in worship and adoration to him because he has done so much for us. He is such a good God. And these are just a few of the attributes of who he is and what he is like and things that we should believe about God as Christians. Now, you can go find uh, Dr. Steve Lawson has a great sermon series on the attributes of God. I think there's 17 sermon ser sermons there in that series, each one detailing a different uh, attribute of God. You can read A.W. Pink's um, book, 
the attributes of God is that let me let me let me just do some double checking. I want to make sure that I told you the name. Uh, yes, A.W. Pink, the attributes of God. I tell you what, since I had to look that up, if you will comment and tell me that you listened and you uh, tell me another attribute of God, then you might just win yourself A.W. Pink's The Attributes of God. I'll give that away to you free if you'll comment and tell me another attribute of God or tell me something that you uh, learned from this episode, although quick, although a lot of rambling, I feel like a lot of things going on in the background that you may not can hear here today. So it's kind of throwing me off sometimes in the home office. It gets crazy around here, especially on the weekends. But uh, if you listened and uh, can tell me another attribute of God again or tell me something that you thought was good about this, then I'll put your name in a hat or in a, a name generator or something like that. And I'll just send you A.W. Pink's The Attributes of God for free. So uh, do that. If you are listening on uh, audio and not watching, feel free to come on the Facebook page, Doctrine Matters Podcast, or you can email me, doctrinematterspodcast at gmail.com. Tell me something or another attribute, and you can get your name in there for that free book as well. I'd love to give that away to you. And for those of you that are listening audio-wise, we are coming up on 100 episodes. I know that there's only about 50 on YouTube right now and maybe less than that when you get down to uh, the real content. But almost 100 episodes on uh, on Apple Podcasts and the other podcast sites where you can find those. So uh, on the 100th episode, we may do something fun, may give something away. I'm looking forward to that. So uh, leave me a comment, like, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. and. Uh, just let me know you're listening and uh, look forward to next time. Again, uh, I'm going to try to do two a week when I can. Things get crazy sometimes. Uh, one of these is going to be like this, what Christians should believe. I think it's good for us to understand that as Christians, even as as seasoned Christians, we need a refresher every now and then. But I also think that I want to do one on just kind of things that are going on in our culture. Recently, I did an episode on Bob Saget, which is getting a lot of traction uh, now on YouTube for some reason. But uh, we'll do that. Uh, just kind of keep up with things going on in the culture and relate it back to the Bible, and uh, go through this this doctrine uh, in a in an easy to understand way. That's what the channel and the the, the podcast was designed for, anyway, in the first place. So, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. For all those that have, love you guys. I appreciate you. And until next time, God bless.